Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard Big by Betty Who yet, but yo. That's my joy. That's my joy. What's good, friends and family, neighbors near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Draper, a.k.a. Don't you know, things will change, things will go your way if you hold John for one more day. If you hold John. <laughs> aka nate 3.0 back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast as always i hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits on today's episode i am joined by nancy Burrill, author of the book i'm not holding your coat my bruises and all memoir of punk rock rebellion the book focuses on her life and role in the early days of the punk scene in Philadelphia in the early 80s. We talk about that and so much more, and that is coming up in a minute. But first, gang, I am exhausted. What an incredibly busy few weeks I just had. It all started two weeks ago when we kicked off the seven-week karaoke contest at Maggie's Waterfront Cafe that I am currently hosting every Thursday night for the next few weeks, which you guys should definitely come check out. We have had some incredible singers swing through, and I am genuinely excited to see who else comes out next to compete for the $1,000 grand prize. And then, on the next morning, I hit up 88.5's Free at Noon show to catch our pal and former guest Don McCluskey perform a lunchtime set. And y'all, it was incredible. Don and the band sound so, so goddamn good right now. So if you get the chance to see them live, do not wait to pounce on those tickets. I got home from that, I threw some food in my tummy, and then it was off to New Jersey later that evening to play in a poker tournament that Kevin Smith was throwing at his Smodcastle Podcast Theater. And guys, I made it to the final table because it turns out I'm kind of good at poker. But, alright, I got knocked out by the great Brian O'Halloran who plays Dante in the Clerks film. So, does anyone want to pick up those names I just dropped? Cool. All right, the following Sunday, I played in the Philly Open Disc Golf Tournament, and I shot a terrible score, but hey, as my good buddy Neil Stone always says, fun or else. And guess what? Fun was had. Wednesday, we got to catch the Low Cut Connie show at World Cafe Live that was part of the Philly Music Fest, and oh my God, that was just an explosion of awesomeness. Not only did Adam and the gang light the stage on fire with a nonstop barrage of pure, unadulterated rock and or roll, but in the middle of their set, they brought out Rob Hyman, Eric Bazilian, and Dave Asikinen of the Hooters for three songs, and it was Philly perfection. Thursday, of course, then was week two of the karaoke contest I just told you about. Friday night, we caught Dan Mintz of Bob's Burgers doing some hilarious stand-up down at Punchline. And then, on Saturday, I went down to Citizens Bank Park to watch our 2022 Philadelphia Phillies send those crummy Atlanta Braves packing as we clinched the National League Division Series! Oh my God, yes, that crowd was absolutely 
absolutely electric. Just 100% pure energy on high. So yeah, busy two weeks there. But like they said, there is no rest for the wicked, and I owe you guys an episode. So here it is. But let me just throw this out before we get to my interview with Nancy. If you have not already, please jump on the website, www.yothatsmyjohn.com, and sign up for the mailing list. If you're a new kid on the podcast block or you're an old 97 of the show, please do it. It is the best and the easiest way to stay on top of all the goings-on with the Yo! That's My John brand. And of course, you can follow us on all of the socials at Yo! That's My John and like and subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app or apps. Do it on all of them. I don't mind. Please and thanks. Okay, after this short ad break, my interview with Nancy Burrell. My guest today is a National Board Certified, award-winning high school English language arts teacher, an adjunct professor, and a writer whose work has been featured in publications such as The Guardian and The Huffington Post, to name a few. But before all of that, she was an integral part of the Philly punk and hardcore scene in the early 80s, not only as the manager of the sadistic exploits, but also as a promoter organizing and launching the legendary punk fests 1 and 2, all of which she has expertly detailed in her book, I'm Not Holding Your Coat, My Bruises and All Memoir of Punk Rock Rebellion, which brilliantly tells the story of punk's early days in the city of brotherly love and her role in it. Folks, it is my honor to welcome to the show, Nancy Burrell. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Nancy Burrell. Nancy, thank you for joining me on Yo! That's My John. Thanks so much for having me on. So um, just to give everybody just a little background on how we got connected, uh, we're both in a Facebook group uh, entitled Vintage Philadelphia. And that's how I first saw one of your posts um, about the scene back in the day. And like just reading it, I was just completely enthralled. And I I had wanted to reach out to talk to you on this podcast even before I knew uh, you had written a book. Um, And once I once I read the book, then it was like lights out. Like I, I just I love love. I love your wealth of knowledge and I, I love just how into like how much a part of the scene you were and I cannot wait to pick your brain. Oh, that's so awesome. And I'll tell you that vintage Philadelphia site has brought more cool people into my life than any single website, you know, Facebook group ever in my life. It's unbelievable the people that I've met through that group. It's really cool. It's so cool. And, you know, I like I'm I'm literally just there, like I'm a simple person. I'm literally just there for old pictures because I love old pictures. Like, hey. I know where that is, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, finding finding you was like finding an absolute treasure because, uh, like I said, uh, you know, I've, I've now completed your book. I'm going to hold it up, even though no one can see this because it's an audio <laughs> podcast, but I'm not holding your coat. Well, I am holding your book and it is uh, fantastic. So um, just let's uh, let's uh, let's these people find out a little bit about you. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, where you're from and where you grew up. Okay, so I grew up in East Norton, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, maybe about um, 25, 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, really, you know, leave it to beaver type suburban existence. So I went to Catholic school from first to 12th grade. 
Uh, my dad was a Marine, so he was really strict. My mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was in high school. You know, I have an older sister and a younger brother. And, um, you know, it was, you know, compared to what I I actually see in my own high school where I teach and, you know, other people's experience, it was it was really quite idyllic. I really don't have anything to complain about. Sure, know? sure. The, um, you, you know, uh, early on, what kind of music was playing around your house? Like, what were your folks listening to? So, you know, of course, we had a record player, you know, one of those little ones. And, um, you know, I remember things like um, uh, uh, Tommy James and the Shondells, Dave Clark Five, the Beatles, the Stones, um, Fats Domino, Chubby Checker, um, you know, but things like that. And um, we listened to a lot of AM radio. You know, AM radio was a little different than it is now. Like they played a variety of of music and I would hear things like, you know, House of the Rising Sun and you know, even at a, you know, it's probably like five years old when I heard that song for the first time. And I think that was when I really first realized, you know, there's something a little dangerous about music, you know, watching uh, Ed Sullivan on on the Sunday nights and seeing uh, the Beatles and then seeing the Rolling Stones, you know, and, you know, making that calculus in my, you know, eight year old mind, like, Hmm, there's something a little different between these two groups here, you know, and definitely I tended to gravitate to the more dangerous, um, you know, um, eviler side of music. And and um, I, I loved music and jukeboxes were huge back in my day. And I didn't realize that until I wrote the book and I realized how much musical knowledge I got from listening to jukeboxes because they were everywhere. Like if you went in a sandwich shop, they were in the sandwich shop. Even in my high school, we had a jukebox in the cafeteria. Um, my We belonged to a swim club and um, that was huge. We would just sit there and play music and then dance in this like dance area. And um you know, it was it was great. It was a great introduction to music. And it was sort of, as I say in my book, you know, you would pick your songs and plant your flag and say, like, this is what I'm into. And then you'd you wait and see what somebody else played. And you're like, oh, you like you like Led Zeppelin trampled underfoot, too. So do I. You know, you like Lola by the Kinks. So do I. <laughs> so it was really kind of cool. Yeah, ju- jukeboxes are are one of my um, you know it, it should come as no surprise um, that I ended up um, DJing for a while, but um, but but jukeboxes were always like my thing. It was like okay, I'm going to play this song, you know, exactly like you said, I'm going to play this song and I'm going to look around and I'm going to find my new friend because they're gonna you know I'm gonna ex- you know and then also like I want the credit of like yes I played this this was me yeah that uh, was me I played that <laughs> right exactly exactly and it you know it told people who you were. And it was it was really a cool way to meet people. It really was. It really was. So, um, you, you know, you talk about House of the Rising Sun and, uh, you know, the Stones on Ed Sullivan. What was what was kind of the first music you came across that you kind of found as your own? Um, you know, growing up, um, my sister was two years older than me. And so, you know, I listened to a wide variety of music. Dave Clark Five, as I said, Tommy James and the Shondells. I liked a lot of the British invasion stuff, you know, stuff that I saw on Ed Sullivan. But when my sister, um, we used to share a bedroom and she moved downstairs to the basement to get away from me, you know, and get some privacy as a teenager. And she bought a stereo and she would play records 
And I would hear them through the floorboards, you know, and and fall in love with the music. And so when she went to work, I'd go downstairs and, you know, I had to be very, you know, stealthy because she would kill me. And I would, you know, play the records to find out what was it that I was listening to, you know, because I had no way to identify, you know. So I would go through them all and I'd be like, oh, yeah, T-Rex, Martha Hoople, David Bowie. I like this, you know, Fog Hat, Jay Giles, not so much, you know. And so I would say really the person that I got extremely passionate, probably my freshman year of high school, um, you know, age 14, was David Bowie. You know, that was really my gateway into music. I just loved Bowie and still love Bowie and still have enormous respect for Bowie and and uh Wow. You know, there's nobody like him. So that I would say Bowie was really the the first. That That, that is. Um, so I uh, uh, everybody on the podcast who listens to this already knows this. I've said it probably 10 million times and I will say it 10 million in one. But um, my first two concerts were um, David Bowie on the Sirius Moonlight Tour. And uh, my second one was uh, David Bowie on the Glass Spider Tour. That's and, awesome. Um, and like Bowie has always been kind of like my North Star of mm-hmm. like a creative per- like he is without a doubt, like the pinnacle of creativity. Um, did, have you gotten to see Mo- Moon Age Daydream yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. You know, I've read the, all the reviews and I listened to my friends and I really wanted to see it in IMAX, but I, I, I missed it. And, you know, we used to have a movie theater right in my hometown and um, they tore it down and built an Amazon fulfillment center. Oh, and no. So, yeah, much to my chagrin. And so for me to get to the movies, it's kind of a it's not easy anymore, you know. And so I don't know if I'm going to have to wait and see it on my big TV back there on HBO Max when it comes out in November or what. But I'm dying really dying to see it i've heard all different things about it you know the good the bad the ugly but you know it's bowie so i'm gonna love it no matter what you know yeah 100 i have i haven't seen it yet but i have i've been um ingesting the uh the soundtrack like crazy mm-hmm. um because some of those alternate takes and stuff on there like it's just it's just a well-produced soundtrack and i'm really yeah. excited for that um so so you know bowie was kind of your first uh your first thing what was what what was the main draw like what what about it was it you know bowie was so different and um i can just remember like staring at the album covers like of pinups or diamond dogs that was nothing like that out there you know that was to my little suburban catholic schoolgirl self that was just the wildest thing and the music was so different and incredible than anything that i ever heard before where you could just listen to every song back to back and they were all good you know you just never got tired of it so um i loved his entire persona his talent um i loved his band i'm a huge mick ronson fan he's probably one of my favorite guitarists and he just bowie just had everything going on i can remember you know begging my mom to watch um the 1980 floor show, which was on like the midnight special. And if you get a chance, YouTube that because it is just spectacular. And even though my mom, I know my mom was kind of like, this is weird. This is, you know, is he a boy or a girl, you know, kind of thing. I know that after she watched that with me, that she was a fan. 
of Bowie. And she was, you know, until she died, you know, she always liked Bowie and, uh, and Brian Ferry. Those were her two favorites. So it, it was just, you know, there was just nobody like Bowie out there. And it was really, um, eye opening for somebody like me. It was an introduction to this whole new world. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, one of the other stories that you tell, uh, in the book, um, from, from earlier in, in life that absolutely floored me was, um, the, uh, story about meeting, uh, Patty Smith's mother. Um, oh my God. Yeah. That was, yeah. Tell, pl- please tell them this story because it's so, absolutely phenomenal. So I hung around with, um, some older gay men who were at my, went to my high school. They were seniors and I was probably like a freshman or sophomore and they introduced me to a, you know, a whole new world as well. And so we went to see Patty Smith and these were in the days where you could go to 18th and Lombard and camp out for tickets and get the front row. You know, they didn't go to the suits. They didn't go to corporate, you know, they went to the kids and that was so great. And so we camped out and we got front row for um, Patty Smith tickets. And the night of the show, we were walking down the aisle and in about the 11th row, we saw uh, an older couple. And, and my friend Pete said, I bet that's Patty Smith's parents, you know, and I was a shy, you know, kid, but he was like, I'm going to go ask him. I was like, yeah, let's go do it. You know, so we went over and he said, are you Patty Smith's parents? And, and they said, yes, we are. (laughs) We were just blown away by that. And I started talking to Beverly and she was so kind and she ran the fan club and we exchanged addresses and we wrote, for many years and she was just the nicest person i can remember like telling her about school and all this stuff and she was she always remembered and wrote back accordingly and it was um she sent me pictures autographed pictures of the band and um I saved those letters and I thought I had lost them. But after my father died, my brother inherited the house and uh, where I grew up and he found them. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so great to have these letters, you know, that that from, you know, the mother that were just and they were long on this yellow legal paper, like pages and pages that she wrote to me. It was really sweet. Um, and I thought Patty was great because there weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of female rockers. And, and so having somebody like Patty out there, um, if Patty was reading a book, if she was reading Rimbaud or she was, you know, reading William Burroughs, then I ran out and I read the, you know, so again, more introduction to a world outside of suburbia. Yeah, she was, uh, she was just at the Exponential Music Festival. Um, and it was the day that we were traveling back from Cape Cod. So we uh, missed it. But, um, but man, I mean, like the, still going strong, still, still sounds great. Um, still creating incredible, you know, art and stuff like that. Like just, yeah, what a I just, I, I've seen her twice now when she's done like, um, you know, just a spoken word to her where she talks and somebody interviews her. And I brought, I even brought my students once and they thought she was fabulous. You know, she talks a little, then she comes out and she plays just an unbelievable human being. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, you go, you go away to college, uh, central Penn, correct? Correct. Yes. And and Um, right outside of Harrisburg. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, um, I, I, you know, I like to talk to people, especially from the Philadelphia area about is um, how much of that decision was um, to get away from home, but still be close enough just in case. 
yeah, well, my father made all the decisions. In, oh. in my, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a teacher since I went to school and, and you know, kindergarten, first grade, I would play school with all the neighborhood kids. I was always the teacher and I really wanted to be a teacher. And my father said, no, you won't make any money. It's dangerous. Um, it's not safe for you to do that. It's not a good thing. And he really wanted me to go into law. And, and so I had heard about paralegal. That was a new field at the time. And um, I said, well, okay, well, how about I, I be a paralegal? You know, you go to school for two years, you get an associate's degree. And um, and he said, yeah, that that's cool. And that was right in Harrisburg. So it was perfect. It was, you know, two hours away and uh, off I went and and had my freedom, which was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I went I went to uh, IUP, uh, Indiana <laughs> University of Pennsylvania, which I, and, and I always said the decision was that I knew I was never going to get like a surprise visit. But also I knew that if anything were to happen, they could they could get there, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, uh, I think you said you had an old classmate that you ended up rooming with there. Right. Yeah. So there was a girl that I went from first to 12th grade with. Um, her name was D. And, um, you know, we were friendly, but we weren't, you know, best friends or anything like that. But when we realized that we were both going to the same school, we said, you know, hey, do you want a room together? You know, just to just in case, like, you know, you could get somebody crazy. So we agreed to do that. And she ended up being a lifelong friend, really great person. And we had where we were was a very small, quiet town. And we realized very quickly if we were going to have any fun, we were going to have to make our own fun. And so this was the height of the disco era. And I was also was like, you know, 1977 when I graduated high school and went off to school. And but I was also really into punk rock. And, and you know, we would walk down to the major shopping center and I would buy punk magazine off the rack. And I got a punk rock pen pal from them and stuff, you know, but we would go to discos and we would go to, you know, we would try to find rock shows to go to. And we really, you know, the two years that I was there, I had a great time. I met some fabulous people that I still keep in touch with. And so it was really a, a good experience. It wasn't the career that I wanted, but it was definitely a great um, experience in learning how to orchestrate your own good time when you needed to. So because there, you know, there wasn't much going on around there. So Sure. You know, and it's, 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 it's funny, um, you know, uh, knowing how things end up and all just like how many kind of foundational tenants that you've used, um, from different, you know, from these different things. So the ability to kind of create your own good time, um, it, it's just, it, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's like it was all meant to be like, it all was putting you in that path. Right. And I agree a hundred percent with that, you know, and, you know, as you read in the book, Three Mile Island happened when, when I was there. And, I, you know, I was sneaking down to see Roxy Music on a Friday night. And my parents didn't know where I was. And they wanted me to evacuate. And it was, this, you know, they were calling me and they couldn't get in touch. And then finally they called my best friend, 
from East Norton and said, you know, if you know where she is, you have to tell us. And so, you know, when I when I get off the train and go to go to the Tower Theater, my best friend's like, you got to call your mother. You know, she's freaking out. And I was like, oh, God, I'm so dead, you know. And so I call the house just begging that my mom answers the phone and not my dad. But like, of course, my dad answered. And I was with a guy, you know, and he wasn't a boyfriend or anything. But when my dad told me he was like you got to come home right away this is like a nuclear meltdown and it's really dangerous well then i was like i didn't want to leave my friend to go back to the nuclear meltdown so i said well you know i'm with a friend dad you know he's like bring him with you you know so he was really cool about it when it came you know my dad in, in a clutch could be really cool um and and bailed me out on that and you know we were worried about grades and papers that we had due and stuff. So we went back up and then school got closed down. And my little brother who had just gotten his license, he was like 16. My dad sent him and said, go get your sister. And you know, <laughs> so scared, you know, on, on the turnpike and, and highways and stuff. It barely, barely even knew how to drive. We were all terrified, but you know, he got me home safely. That's awesome. That's awesome. You, you mentioning the Roxy M Music Show. One of the other things um, that you know I I learned in the Vintage Philadelphia group, and then it, it comes up in the book as well. Um, you kept extensive notes of the live shows um, you went to. When did that start? So I started doing it right away. And the thing that makes me angry is that I stopped after like seventy. Um, and I think that's after I went to college and I just got too busy. I also wish, you know, I wrote down the shows and who opened, but I didn't write down where they were or the dates, which I wish I was a little smarter with that. But I'm really psyched to have that list because it's, you know, it's it's my biography. You know, it's my trip down memory lane when I look and I say, oh, my God, I saw this band and this band and this band. And, you know, sometimes there are bands on there that I'm did I see that band? I don't even remember, you know, but then there's the ones that are like, oh, that was a transformative, life-changing experience when I saw that show. So, you know, my first show was Rod Stewart and just amazing. And then Alice Cooper. And so I saw some really, um, you know, you often laugh when you see that T-shirt that says, I may be old, but I saw all the good bands. I feel that way. I I feel that is a truth. Um, oh, you definitely did. Um, you know, and it's a boomer list. thing to say. I know it's a boomer thing to say, like, oh, our music was so good, but our music was so great at that time. It really, really was. When you look at all the bands that came out in the seventies into the eighties, oh my God, such great art! <laughs> it was really just amazing. Definitely, it's it's like my favorite period of music. Like I agree. it is. It's just there because, you know, there was so much inventive stuff happening, but also like so it was such a potpourri of of ideas like, you know, the 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 idea um, today, if you were to say something is punk to somebody compared to back in the day, like what punk was and how like, you know, the you know the ramones didn't sound like the clash and yeah. you know like there there was variety and just you know it was more in an ethos than it was uh, a kind of a sound um, that's it absolutely was and i remember there are bands like leonard skinnerd and the allman brothers that i hated back in the day like if that came on and i was at a party i was like get this off you know but then 
maybe like two or three years ago, I watched one of those like behind the music or some documentary about Leonard Skinner. And I was like listening to that stuff. And I was like, oh, man, there's some that guitar solo in. in, in oh, my God. In uh, Freebird. I like, you know, got right on YouTube and watched that. And I was like. That's got to be one of the greatest guitar solos of all time, if not the greatest guitar solo of all time. And I'm telling you, if you put that on around me when I was a kid, I would have smashed it probably. But I have such an appreciation for so much of that music now um, that I didn't back then, even disco. Right. And I like disco back in the day. Don't get because I like to dance. That was my you know, that was my thing. I like to dance. But sometimes like, uh, you know, i put on Sylvester, um, Mighty Real one time in my classroom and, you know, just in between changing classes and my kids came in and my kids were like, what is this, Burrell? This is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's great. It's really great, you know, from the from the funk of the Ohio players. Oh, come on. We could go on and on. <laughs> So. It's 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 amazing. Um, so so out of school, you end up in in Philly uh, in in the scene. Um, like, uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, what what you remember about Philadelphia during that time. Like so Philadelphia at that time was a dangerous place. You know, there was a lot of crime, blight, um, police corruption, um, but I was just thrilled with it all. You know, I was just so happy to be in the epicenter. And so um, at first I was, you know, I had an apartment right at 12th and Chestnut, but I was scared to go out at night by myself because I didn't really have any friends down there yet. So my, sometimes my friends would come down and we would go out or we would go to Emerald City um, to see bands in, in Cherry Hill. But it wasn't until I ran into um, a, a, a friend that I made in Harrisburg, uh, Bob, I just ran into him on the street in Philly. He was like, oh, my God, Nancy Petrillo. And then he was like, let's go to the hot club. And then we started going to the hot club together because then I had somebody to go with. And after that, then I, you know, I met a lot of people and I was there every every night, practically seeing bands like Madness and the B-52s and a lot of cool local bands and just really, really having the time of my life when I look back now, you know, I'm so old now and I have no energy to do anything without like months of planning. And I just think like we were out every night of the week seeing live music or, you know, it was just so much fun. Um, Philly was just a hotbed of creativity in, in, in everything, in art, in fashion, in music, in culture, just everything. It was really just, you know, it was dangerous. It was scary, but it was just booming with excitement. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, and, and you know, you paint such a beautiful picture, um, of the city, even through the danger and, you know, the blight as, as you, you mentioned, like of just what a community of, of, uh, of punk friends uh, existed like that that entire scene just seems like something out of a uh, almost out of a movie like out of out of make-believe because like it just doesn't really exist anymore you know like that kind of specific subculture um, it was really really fun and the crazy thing is I keep in touch with all those people still to this day when I had my book event in in Philly, um, a guy named Joe Hardcore did it at the church in 21st and Chestnut Street. And um, I didn't really know Joe. My husband introduced me to him and he was just he was like, oh, you know, like 
you're the legacy of what I'm doing now, you know? So he was really cool. And he gave me this great space to do it in. And 210 people came out. I never dreamed of anything like that. And I can remember, and I almost start crying telling you this. I remember walking home with my brother and saying to him, I could drop dead right now and like be the happiest person in the world. Because Philly, man, that's my heart. It really, really is. And I, I hope to, you know, move back after I retire in two years and everyone's like, oh, it's dangerous. <laughs> it's crazy down there. And I'm just like, please, I want to go back. You're like, I remember that. Yeah, that's what yeah, it was. You yeah. know, and my brother said, well, yeah, you were young then and you can't run as fast as you could run back then. It's it's funny. It, it cleaned up and you left and you're like, yeah, it's getting bad again. Time to come back. Right, right, right. So I've got two years. I've got this year and next year to teach. And then I think I'm going to be done. And then I have to just convince my Boston bred husband that this is where we want to be. I love it. I love it. Well, um, one of the things uh, that also I, I didn't count how many times, um, but I know at least three times I saw a reference to uh, Jim Stakes. Have you heard about uh, what happened I, to Jim's? I did hear about Jim Stakes and I was, you know, watching it in real time because I'm friends with Ezekiel Zagar, whose father is Isaiah Zagar, the artist, and, and his family owns the shop right next door, right next door the yeah. art gallery there. And um, I actually... If you can see it, I actually bought one of his. Uh, see that mosaic back there? Yeah, I that mosaic to help support them in, um, you know, in their rebuild, so that they could, um, you know, I hope that they can open soon. Um, and that that was just, you know, that was devastating um, loss to to the city. Uh, there's a great video that I that someone sent me. Um, with a bunch of people in gym stakes, all in line, probably like right, you know, after the clubs let out and and people and people should YouTube this. People listening should YouTube this. Um, Boys to Men comes on the end of the road, you know, and everybody in the place just starts singing it. It's oh, such man. a great Philly moment that, you know, I think the first time I and I saw it, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a crier, but the first time I saw it, I think I just burst into tears because it was just such a Philadelphia moment. Everybody just singing a boys to men song, right? It was great. Oh, it's so beautiful. And at the most perfect place too. Like, uh, Jim's of, of the, of the three, Jim's is my, my favorite. Always place. my favorite. Yeah. I don't even think I've ever been to, um, to the other ones. Um, I've never been, I don't think I've ever been to Pat's and, um, um, people tell me there's one in, in Roxborough that's really good. Delisandro's is yes, my favorite, yes, but I don't, yes. I don't really count it because it's, uh, to me, it's just outside the city. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's, uh, yeah, that's a, but I hear a lot of good things about that, but that, I don't know if it, I think it existed, but you know, we weren't going to Roxborough for, right. for yeah, it was in the wrong direction right there, you know, that was close to us. Um, so, you know, uh, that kind of brings me to one of the things like, um, around that time period now I was a small child, but my, my, my parents used to uh, bring me down to the city, um, all the time. And one of the things that, um, was a, a beacon to me and I was always drawn to, um, was South street. Um, like I, I just absolutely loved South street, um, but specifically for, and uh, RIP, not there anymore, but, um, I loved Zipperhead. Like, I just thought it was the coolest store in the world. And like, it's funny to me that like in my mind, it existed forever. But really when I was down there, 
maybe 10 years, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, for, for me, um, we, there was, there were places like skins and Rosebud and then of course the TLA and Jim stakes. And so that was, um, you know, that was a funny area, but I remember when zipper had opened and, as punks, initially, we were like, oh, this is corporate punk, you know, we don't, yeah. you know, we don't really want to, you know, support somebody taking our, our, you know, our subculture and m- merchandising it. You know? So in the beginning, I, I, I can remember, you know, that we, w- we wouldn't go there. Um, we went to the other stores, but not so much Zipperhead. It's, is it still there or is it gone? No, it's gone, though. They left um, like one of the ants. Um, oh, okay, lives yeah. on a building somewhere, but not in the actual location. It's somewhere else. But right, anyway. right, right. Oh, that's too bad that it's gone because that was a great place. Yeah, uh, South Street um, got weird because um, you know, uh, it, much like everything, like uh, once once it was mined for like once there was like a gap on South Street, it was just like I knew it was it was kind of all. It's yeah. coming back though. It's coming. Yeah, back. right, right. Um, but but that Tower Records being gone is still just a, a dagger in my heart because. Yeah, that wasn't there when I lived there. There was um, there was a a book trader that that had um, I think they sold books and records. And um, I think that was it for record stores when I was there. I can't really remember. We we just went to Third Street Jazz and Rock. That was where we bought all our records. That was the the spot. So but Tower definitely wasn't there when I I mean, I left in 82. So. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So that was pretty early on. But yeah, I, you know, I, I want to see it. Um, I saw a place I'm, I'm following on Instagram called Crash Boom Philly. Do you know that? It sounds familiar. but Yeah, uh, that looks like a really cool spot. And I think that might be on South Street. And and I follow them on Instagram and they they post some cool things that they're doing and stuff that they have in their store. And so I always thought when I go back, I want to, you know, I want to go in there and check it out. And see yeah, there's there's still some great places. Wave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, at, at some point you end up um, becoming the uh, essentially the uh, manager for uh, sadistic exploits um, like uh, how I guess it was you were kind of destined to at some point um, not be just a fan of music. But like, um, was it something you were looking for or or do you think you just kind of happened into that into that? um I think I was raised to always kind of be a contributor. Like if you were going to be part of something, then you had to contribute. You know, I was a Girl Scout. I was a cheerleader. <laughs> you know, you had to you had to have this team effort. And I had no talent, zero talent. I couldn't play an instrument. I couldn't sing. And, you know, here was this band of great guys that wanted to make music. And I wanted to be a part of it, you know. And so when they asked me to be manager, I just was thrilled, absolutely thrilled to be a part of it. And they treated me so great. You know, they always put me in the pictures and everything. And so it was really fun. And and um, we were, you know, we were finding our way doing shows and, re- you know, renting the Elk Center and doing all ages shows and going up to New York to CBGB's for the first time. It was just so much fun to have those guys as my tribe you know i felt very lucky and and that was a thing about philadelphia that sometimes people talk a lot about and i mentioned this in the book too um in in some some areas uh women were not as welcomed and 
as they were. But in Philadelphia, w- women ran everything. You know, there, w- Allison um, Schnackenberg, she was a photographer. She wrote a fanzine. Um, she did shows and, and, you know, guys did shows too. But, but that, you know, Ginny Trainer, there people, women were really, they were in the bands. They were really part of the scene and everybody was really accepting. And so for me, it was, I, I got a great deal of empowerment from punk rock and hardcore because, um, I was doing things that I I was out of my comfort zone doing, you know, doing these big shows and stage diving and slam dancing and, uh, you know, running the streets of New York and just having, the t- you know, a really, really good time when I look back now and think about it. You know, everybody looks at things through rose colored glasses as they do. But when, you know, when I was writing the book, there were some things I was like, people are never going to believe any of this happened because <laughs> some of it is so crazy, you know, um, the bombs and the riots and stuff. But then I also was saying, wow, I'm so lucky to have come up this way. And it's helped me so much in my career. Um, I would not be the teacher that I am today if I did not come up that way. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the bombs and the riots, and that was one question I had after um, reading the book, and that is, um, why continue to book shows at the Starlight? Um. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't book those shows. I didn't book those shows. So that was David Carroll, and David Carroll ran the Hot Club. And so the first couple of shows that he did, uh, Susie and the Banshees, I think Cheetah Chrome, the Circle Jerks, you know, there was a little bit of tension, but things were bad everywhere. So you kind of expected that. It wasn't until the SOA Black Flag show where things got really scary and bad. And um, I didn't go back for a year. It was a solid year. But then the Dead Kennedys were playing. I had to go see the Dead Kennedys, you know? And so, and then that's the show they threw the bomb at us. And then I made a vow. I will never go back to Kensington. And that is a promise that I have kept. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a good promise to keep. Mm-hmm. Cause like I, I was, I was like dumbfounded because like, you know, uh, like I said, y- you know, y- when I'm younger, all, all of this kind of stuff seems like ages ago. But now that I'm older and I look at years, I'm like, oh, that was like three years before I was going to shows like that was, right. you know, like right, like right. and and I, you know, growing up, I had always heard, oh, I can't believe you go to so many shows. It's dangerous down there. But like it was never dangerous to me. Like I knew where I would where I was safe, essentially. Like I knew I knew dangerous places and I had been to dangerous places. You know, um, my mom was an addict. Uh, just so like uh and so i used to go down with her you know a lot of times to really dangerous places so like i kind of knew the city like but i never knew just like the show danger you know like that's it blew my mind to be honest and and we were sort of jaded from it you um any show that you went to you took your chances and um I just kind of remember when we booked the Camden show. Um, when I look back now, I'm thinking, Camden, really? We really booked a show in Camden. Like, we knew Camden was dangerous, but everywhere was dangerous. And so we were just happy to find a venue um, that was close to Philly that you could get to by public transportation. You know, <laughs> hindsight's 2020. And so um, I, I don't know. Like, I just think that 
we just got kind of um, desensitized to it. And, um, you know, looking back now, I think, oh, my God. And and somebody was reading the book. One of uh, one of the people that interviewed me for a fanzine was in was reading the book. And she said she just kept screaming, stop going to Kensington. Will you stop going to Kensington? <laughs> Seriously, like I, I, I was I was completely dumbfounded when you went back for the Dead Kennedy show because I was just <laughs> I, I was know. like, you know, you know what happened. <laughs> I know, especially because the night before in Staten Island was a riot, you know, so why go back? But yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, so um, here's here's a question I, I love to ask. Um, who from that time period and from from Philly, it doesn't even have to definitely be from Philly, but like name a band that you remember from back then that you kind of think is just completely unsung that like didn't get kind of the, you know, minor threat black flag kind of, you know, Dead Kennedy's notoriety, but should have, like, was up there in your eyes. That was up there in my eyes. I mean, I was a huge Bad Brains fan, but I do believe that that they have their, you know, they're pretty, pretty iconic um, and considered um, pretty great. The only bands that I can think of that that um, I think were kind of unsung, but they were in Britain were bands like crisis and flux of pink Indians who you probably never heard of, but um, they were bands that I really liked. And perhaps they were huge in, in, um, in England, but I wanted them to come here and play. Um, And I never got to see those bands play. So maybe those bands, um, um, I really can't think of most of the bands. They hold such high, esteem in my own brain that it's hard for me to to say you know a band like tsol um who i think were incredible and then you had bands like you know the offspring come around and kind of somewhat do what they did um i i kind of think they were kind of unsung because they're i love their records i thought their records were really great um i think bad religion takes um you know, they sort of get a bad rap sometimes, but man, there was nothing like that first record that they came out with. I thought was incredible. I still listen to it. So, um, you know, in my own head, the hierarchy is a little different probably than the real world. Sure. Sure. I was, I was excited to see, um, uh, uh, there's, so there's a, a gentleman who, um, for over a year now, we've been going back and forth of, I've been trying to get him on this show, but, um, and, and it keeps, it keeps falling through every single time we, we set something up, it falls through. And I literally just ran into him at CVS, but I was glad to see, um, Chuck Treese mentioned in the oh, book. Chuck is great. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck is great. Now Chuck was a little kid. When I knew him, um, a little kid and a great skateboarder. That's, you know, that's, you know, good, you know, decent, solid beginning mus- musician. But, um, you know, just just, you know, kind of coming up. And I left before, you know, he really became the icon that he became. Um, but we reconnected um, over social media. And at one point I got a grant at my school to do a rock ensemble um, but we needed instruments and things like that um, to make it work. And Chuck gave us all kinds of stuff. You know, it was really cool that, you know, he reached out and and um, we just had so much stuff from him that I had to say, OK, we have enough stuff now from people. So it was really and people from all over Philly did the same thing. 
it was, you know, it was really nice. And that's, um, that's one thing, you know, I teach in a high poverty school. And so if I want anything like extra, um, I have to do crowdsourcing, which, you know, really kind of stinks for teachers that we have to do that. But you know who funds all my stuff? Punk rock people field trips, guest speakers, books, resources. I just, I can put something up and 22 minutes later, some $500 project is funded by punk rock people and my former um, high school classmates, you know, it's really, or, and former students. <clears throat> it's really heartwarming. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And it, it, it kind of lends to the, the DIY nature um, that you're so experienced with. Um, and, and, you know, uh, so when you made, you know, the, the move to Boston and the pivot to becoming a teacher, like, um, was how satisfying was it to finally actually realize what you wanted to do in the first place? Oh, it was terrifying. I have to tell you, like, you know, living through bombs and riots and stuff, standing in front of your first classroom of teenagers is is far more terrifying than any of that. I was really, really scared. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I was so excited to be doing, you know, the work that I wanted to do for so long. And I... um I, I love teaching and, and it was, you know, it's been a very good career for me for 28, 29 years now. Um, and next year I'll retire after 30. So, but it, it was great. And so much again of what I did in punk rock, I used in my career. Um, my first year of teaching, there was um, a lot of Cambodian gangs in my school and I had no cultural competency at all. I, you know, I went to private school, mostly white school. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but the kids taught me as much as I taught them. You know, they really, really did. And one of my students was shot and killed the, my first year of teaching. And it was, you know, it was really devastating. And I kind of vowed that I was going to do whatever I could to help these kids. And so I was doing like a lot of gang outreach and stuff. And I remember, you know, the, the, the kids saying to me, like, aren't you scared, you know, being out here with us, you know, like, aren't you scared? And then recently, one of the kids um, one of the, the gang kids read my book and uh, he wrote me a letter and he said, now I know why you weren't scared. <laughs> Cause I that's awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. Um, well, you've, you know, not, you know, not that um, the music stuff wasn't amazing, but like the, the, the teacher bona fides um, and the awards you've won um, are absolutely astounding and incredible. Like, uh, um, uh, but there is one in particular um, I need to ask you about. And um, <coughs> I'm sorry, I have a cold. <laughs> uh, no, no, no worries. Um, but um, uh, the uh, Boston Red Sox most valuable uh, educator award. Um, when you won that, did you wear <clears throat> Phil's hat? Because um... <laughs> no. So, um, <laughs> The Phillies never asked me to come on there, uh, but the Red Sox did. And okay. so I was going to, you know, I, I wore a Red Sox shirt when when I went out there and I still keep my Philly sports affiliation. But I've grown to love a lot of the teams in Boston as well. Um, I lived when I moved to Boston, I lived right next door to Fenway Park. 
Like I'm talking, I could throw a baseball and it would hit the field. That's how close I lived there. And it was so bizarre to me that there was a baseball field in the middle of this neighborhood. Um, it was crazy. And we used to have to have the schedule in the car so that I knew if I could get home or not, because if it was, if a game was letting out, I'd have to, you know, dr- we'd have to drive around until we could, you know, get home and get a parking space. But I remember the first game that I went to, a girl from my job said, come on, I got bleacher seats. We're going to go see the Red Sox. And I was like, all right, let's go, you know. So we go there and we're sitting $4 seats in the bleachers. And I'm telling you, the Red Sox fans are going insane. They're, you know, they're jumping over the wall. They're screaming. They're yelling. I'm like, I'd never been to a baseball game before. Not even. I think I went to a Phillies game maybe when I was like a little tiny kid, you know, but I didn't really remember it. But I'd never been to a baseball game. And I was like, I can't believe how crazy these people are. So I go home and I say to my husband, like, you know, and the Red Sox won. And I said, wow, I can't believe how what maniacs these Boston Red Sox fans are. And he says to me, I can't believe you were at the game where Roger Clemens just pitched 20 strikeouts. Oh, my goodness. And so here I was at this historic <laughs> game and I was clueless. You know, I had no idea. And so I say he said, save that ticket stub. That's going to be worth a lot of money. And so I, I saved it. And and uh, just last year on the anniversary date, I posted it on my uh, Instagram and both Roger Clemens and his wife, you know, liked it and commented on it. So that's it incredible. Funny. Yeah, it was really funny. But that was like my first game. And, you know, who knew? I, I had no idea that I was at this historic game that, you know, he did. He did this great thing. But who that's knew? so incredible. So, you know, so you're you're teaching and then uh, somehow a, a, a student gets a hold of a photo and you're you're outed as um, having this punk history. Um, was there was there any fear behind that or were yeah, you just... there was a lot of fear behind that because I was afraid that my punk rock past would not play well with parents and administrators. And so I was you know, I was a little scared about that. And um, my husband was in another band, you know, he was in SSD control. And then in the late yep. 90s, he started a band called Gage. And um, and they were really popular in the Boston area. And a lot of my students would go to shows and I would be so scared that, you know, they would get hurt or something would happen and and then I would get fired. <laughs> and so I kept everything a secret, you know, as much as as much as I could until the Internet became what it is. And then that kid in my advanced placement class class came in and was like, this is you. <laughs> and I was like, so, you know, I had to make a quick decision. Do I confirm, deny? What do I say? You know, and I just told them, I was like, yeah, that's me. And, you know, that was one of the best days of my life. I had so much fun. And then they barraged me with questions and stuff. Um, there aren't a lot of kids at my school who like punk rock. Um, they uh, mostly like hip hop or world music and, you know, things like that. But it's always cool when I do meet one that um that does like punk rock funny story i had a kid that graduated in like maybe 2000 1999 and he was the only kid in the school who liked hardcore and he knew his hardcore he like he knew his stuff really well and and he was never in my in any of my classes but he would come to my room and he would ask me endless questions uh, about a hardcore uh, you know did the hardcore kids like michael jackson you know what about the hardcore kids do this you know <laughs> just to, to barrage me with questions and he was really cool so when he graduated i wanted to to do something nice for him and give him a present 
So I had two test pressings here. I had a minor threat out of step test pressing that Ian gave me when he stayed at my house when they played Boston. And I had an SSD get it away test pressing. And I said, all right, I'm going to give him to this. And so I gave him to him as a present. Imagine that never dreaming what those records would be worth in 15 years. My Lord. And so, you know, and my, you know, my husband had a fit. He was like, you know, that wasn't yours to give away. My get it away. Just pressing. And I was like, ah, you know, went to Bobby. And so then um, maybe like five years ago, Bobby called me and he said, um, I'm having my wife and I are having a baby and I think it's time to sell these records, you know? And I said, okay, you know, I can help you do that. And he said, if you help me do it, I'll give you half the money. And so I said, okay. And so I put it up on, you know, Instagram and Facebook. And then within 20 minutes, both sold for ridiculous, ridiculous money. And so I gave Bobby his money and I took my money and put it into a fund to take my kids to New York City on a field trip. And so I think that, you know, both Al and Ian would be very happy with where, uh, you know, what the outcome of, of the sale of those records. But yeah, I was, um, wasn't my smartest uh, decision. <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> well it, it ended well. It ended well. Yeah, it ended very well with a good story anyway. You know, exactly. I love the stories. I love the stories. I always got to have a story. And, you, so. and you're you're a great storyteller. So, like, was 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 kind of um, a early memoir like this ever in the plans before being outed um, as, a, as a punk rocker by your student? Or, or was that kind of like something that spurred the uh the emotion and the memories to kind of capture I think that. that i think that i always wanted to write a book that was a dream since i was eight great you know eight, eight years old but i i always thought maybe i would write a fiction you know a novel or or something like that so i didn't really think about writing the book until the internet came out and um there was a guy named reverend hank pierce and he asked me one time does your punk rock um past influence your teaching and when I sat down and I wrote this article, I realized it was everything to my teaching, really, you know. And and so I wrote this article and it came out really good. So I submitted it to Education Week, which is like the big teacher magazine. And it went kind of viral, you know, over 100,000 likes and Harvard University shared it and all these people. And so then I think that's when I realized that I had something that, you know, and I liked to tell stories and I often told stories in the Facebook groups like I did in Vintage Philadelphia. And when I would do it in the hardcore and punk groups, invariably there would always be some man born in 1990 who would try to correct me or contradict me or <laughs> refute what I was saying. And it would make me so angry that I just said, you know what, I'm going to write a book and put it all out there and then they can come at me because this is what I lived and you're not going to tell me that it didn't happen or that I'm wrong about something when I was there. And, you know, that's what I did. And so um, the first, you know, when I first wrote the book, it was how punk rock made me a better teacher. And it was, the, you know, the punk rock piece and then the teaching piece all in one book. And I got a really high powered agent right away. And he said, oh, we're going to send this out to, you know, to auction. And I was like, well, I'm going to be able to quit my job. It's going to be great. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, what happened was people either liked the punk rock story or they liked the teacher story, but they didn't like both together. And so, yeah, so it was very easy for me to peel off the, you know, the the punk rock. It was finite. It ended in 1982. And so I went with that, 
you know, first and and was lucky enough to get bazillion points as a publisher. They took a chance on me because, you know, I'm not I'm a nobody. Right. I'm, I wasn't in a band. I wasn't, you know, a big agent or anything. So um, I'm, I'm forever, forever grateful to Ian at bazillion points for, you know, putting out the book. Uh, me too, because it's like I said, it's a phenomenal read, and I implore everybody listening to Thank to, so to pick much. up a copy. It really means um, the world to me to hear that. The 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 other half, the teaching half. Is there any plan on on releasing that? So the the thing about that one is, I, I just worry about what they call like virtue signaling when I tell stories in there that I want to be like, um, you know, my students are have wide variety of backgrounds. And I almost feel like it's almost they're great stories. They're, they're you know, they're really cool stories. And my students impacted my life in profound ways. But I, I, I don't want to be exploitive. And and so I don't know that I'll ever publish that. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if I have another book, maybe something else in me or whatever. But I'm just so happy with this one that. I don't even feel like I need to, you know, this book has exceeded all my expectations. If you would have told me that, you know, that I would sell this many books and that people would read it and be and love it and I'd be on podcast, I'd be like, get out of here. So I figured, you know, a couple of relatives, a couple of friends, some diehard punk rockers. Right. And um, it's been great. And, And the pandemic helped me. You know, because people were reading a lot during the pandemic. And so that really did help me a lot. And um, I appreciate that. So it was it was a timing issue as well, too, I think. Sure. Um, so I have I have an idea if there if there isn't another book, I have an idea for you. And, and I don't even know who who to tell this to. But somebody listening um, uh, that owns a record label um, should get you to curate um, a, a compilation of um, early um 80s philly punk rock like and hard punk and hardcore because like that would be to me just a phenomenal and and there would be in in my eyes no better person than you um to curate something like that um because i think something like that should be documented you know what i mean like there should be like a here this is philly punk hardcore you know like I, I know um, one thing that made me really happy is I know an A&R guy um, from out in California and he he came and visited uh, my husband and I and he said he told me that um, by my putting this book out that it brought a lot of interest to the Philly bands and oh my God, that made me so happy because Philly bands never got their due, you know, most of them didn't you know, do huge tours or anything like that. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a van, you know, we didn't have those things. So um, it really made me happy to, to see that it brought some attention to Philadelphia and its scene and its bands. And so that made me uh, just thrilled. Yeah. You know, like uh, 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 I, I'm going to, uh, you know, completely own up to my my ignorance, like, you know, D.C. punk and hardcore and, and New York punk and hardcore is something I've always, you know, been engulfed in. But I didn't even realize like kind of the wealth of the scene um, that was here until, you know, like the A&R guy said, until you kind of That's awesome. put a light on it. That. that really that really makes me happy because those bands are very you know, very deserving. And the people in those bands were amazing human beings and really great. And they, you know, they came out for the, 
um, for the book event. And, you know, we're doing another book event. I, I told you about that at the Pyramid Club on November 18th. If I don't know when this is coming out, but if uh, if anybody's around, you know, go go onto my Instagram or my Facebook and um, come out for that night, because the idea of all of us punks being in this unbelievably fancy schmancy place in Philadelphia is just hysterical to me. And so I'm really, really looking when, when, and it was somebody from the vintage Philadelphia page who, who made this happen. They do book, you know, um, she's a member of the pyramid club and does off an author series and, and contacted me. And I was just like, Oh, I am so down with this. I will be there. That's incredible. Yeah. It really, really looking forward to it. That really, that group really was a wealth of. Uh... I have no idea. You have no idea. I met so many cool people through that group. I'm really grateful. Even um, I don't know if you saw my post about the Midtown Midtown Diner. Yes, that we used to go. The daughter of the owner contacted me, and we're Facebook friends now. <laughs> so, That's incredible. It's really cool. It's incredible. Um, I will say this, and this is is no slight. I try to stay out of the comments um, because, uh, especially especially whenever the words Frank Rizzo appear, I oh, God, know I'm please. about to see the most horrible things I've ever read. In my life. Yes, yes, uh, please, and and I've and I've jumped into a few of those with much regret. Um, yeah, people are crazy, and I can post. You know, I can post the most innocuous things, and someone will take it to Frank Rizzo. It's, you know, and I'm like. Come on, you guys. This is this is, you know, ridiculous when, you know, when if I write anything about like something that happened with a cop or whatever, you know, the people are like, ah, well, when Frank Rizzo was and I was like, yes, it was a great time if you were not gay or a person of color, you know, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Please, you know, it's a uh, you know, and and you know, to that point, um, one of the things that I think um, you handle very well and um, is incredible um, is the reevaluation of bad brains after um, HR started kind of you know. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, the whole band really kind of went that way, and it was you know for me it was it was the first time I ever had to deal with something like that. <laughs> Where here was this band that I loved so much doing things that I hated so much. And, and I really, you know, kind of had to make a decision with what I was going to do. And it was, and it was really difficult for me um, to navigate those waters for the very first time. And um, in a lot of ways, I feel I was kind of lucky because the band's trajectory kind of went down at the same time, but, because I love that band. And I'm telling you, if you ever saw that band live, the first, I just the first time I saw them at the Elk Center in Philadelphia, I was like, I will go see this band wherever they play in a tri-state area region. And that's a promise I kept. I would go see them on in Trenton, New Jersey on a Tuesday night if they were playing or in Asbury Park on a Wednesday if they were playing. That's how great they were. They always brought it. They were always incredible. And um so yeah, it was it, it was a really tough situation to have to wade through at the time. Sure, sure, and like you know, it 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 takes uh, an enormous amount of 
maturity to kind of make that decision like it it, it, that's you know the the idea you know especially nowadays when you know i feel like i i try not to i try not to idolize anybody because it seems like every other day it's like well you like them but did you hear and it's like oh no (laughs) like right 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 i I, I'm, i'm with you on that yeah it's 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 very hard yeah um, but and and the one other thing that um, uh, I, I want to mention uh, before, and then we'll jump into the jauntlet and stuff like that. But the one other thing I want to mention that um, I thought was incredible was um, your reevaluation of um, where um, Sister Alice was coming from in the kind of idea of early onset dementia, um, because. I, you know, just to catch the readers up, you know, you had a a, 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 a nun uh, as a teacher who was, you know, a, a, a horrible, <laughs> a horrible person. <laughs> Not a horrible person. I don't want to. I don't want to put that on her. She but was like, a bully. A, yeah, she, you know, and and the the ability to kind of look back and recognize that. Um, it, were you able to do that at the time, or is that something? Oh, no. Yeah, no, I, I no, didn't. no. Uh, and and it was so frustrating because. Um, you just wanted somebody to step in and and do anything. And I remember there was one girl in my class whose mother came down and, you know, kind of said something. But back then, if I if I would have gone home and said, Mom, like this happened and then none did this or, you know, to my dad, they'd be like, well, I'm sure you deserved it, you know. So there was really no questioning of authority of that. At, at that time, they sort of held all the, uh, you know, all the all the coins and, and there was really nothing that we could do about it. But it. it kind of upset me that no one stepped no one else stepped in and said you know this is a bad situation and and these kids aren't learning you know that that you know the bottom she would teach the same lessons over and over again and you know we were supposed to have art every friday and music and we never had you know maybe once or twice you know we had it and i was like why don't we have an art why don't we have the music and so um you know, but but definitely now when I look back with the repetition and the things that she did, you know, it, it was definitely all, you know, Alzheimer's or some kind of dementia that was, you know. But when I also look back, I think that, you know, some of those teachers that um, were cruel or or whatever, they made me when you look at teachers there's usually two kinds of teachers. Those were that were inspired by a great teacher or those that wanted to change their experience and kind of be the anti-teacher of what they experienced. And that's the kind that I am. And so I come across that a lot where I, you know, I talk to different teachers and they'll be like, oh, I had this great English teacher and I wanted to be like him or, you know, or they say, oh, I had terrible teachers. So I said, when I get to be a teacher, I'm going to, and that's who, that's, you know, that's the category I'm in. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, you want to go through the jauntlet, my uh, sure, special questionnaire sure, here? Sure, sure. All right, we start off with the one hit wonders. First one, Billy Joel or Elton John? Elton John. Yeah. Uh, were you ever a Billy Joel person? or You know, I remember that song, Just the Way You Are, came out when I was in, in high school, and my dad liked it, which was really kind of weird. And that was a great song. And, um, you know, and I liked it, and I think I appreciated you know, Billy's talent and stuff. I wasn't a huge Elton John fan when I was growing up. Um, th- lots of times people were like, you either liked Elton John or you liked Bowie. They would pit them against each other for some reason, you know? And, and I was a Bowie fan. So 
<laughs> I wasn't, I liked Good Bye Yellow Brick Road a lot, but I wasn't, I don't think I ever even owned it, an Elton John record. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, next one. And I, this is the one I've been uh, dying to ask you. Uh, Debbie Harry or Joan Jett? Yeah. See, now you put me in a really, really, <laughs> really tough position. And, and, and um, you know, that's, that's really hard. And I'm going to go with Debbie Harry um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, just because I wanted to be Debbie Harry when I was, when I was a kid, I really kind of identified with her style and her look and um, she opened a lot of doors for me. She was kind of fearless um, and, and probably played it, it, uh, a, at a little higher level than Joan was playing at the time. You know, but I was, you know, you read my book, you know, I was a huge Joan Jett fan, too, and, and you know, liked her guitarist very much um, at the time. So that's a hard one. You know, if I had to choose, if you're going to push me, I will probably go with Debbie. But I do love them both uh, an enormous amount. Absolutely. I just um, uh, right before the pandemic saw uh, uh, Blondie um, also at the Exponential Music Festival. We we go every year, um, but um, still sound they still sound familiar. Uh, yeah, you, you know, fantastic. Great. Yeah, they played on a Monday night here, or else I would have gone. But I can I couldn't do a Monday night. Monday nights are tough, especially okay. since you you said you wake up four o'clock something like that. Four forty five. Oof. Yeah, it's oh, a tough one. Yeah, that is a tough one. Yeah. Uh, next one, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? I'm going to go with Tina Turner only because I took my students to see the tuna, to the Tina musical last Thursday night. And oh, nice. so none of my kids knew who Tina Turner was, of course, you know. But after that show, they sure did. And they were all Googling her and, you know, just really excited about it. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go. With, I mean, they're both great. And that's another one that you can't really pick. But um, just because that's so fresh in my mind, seeing her story on stage, that's a great that's a great and that's coming to um, that's coming to Philadelphia, I think, in November. If you get a chance to see that show, you should. It's really, really uh, exciting and fun show to see. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I, um, I'm also a uh, musical theater guy. So, that's uh, right in my uh -huh. wheelhouse. Right in my wheelhouse. Um, next one, uh, Nirvana or Pearl Jam? See, now that's another hard one. Um, I'm a huge Nirvana fan, and I was lucky enough to see them. But Jeff Amet, who's in Pearl Jam, has been very. He, you know, he actually. Um, wanted to be in SSD control at one point and called my husband to, to, um, when they, right around the breakup time to play bass. And, you know, my husband, was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't happen. Lucky for Jeff, but Jeff has been, um, really nice to, to, um, my husband and me and has gotten us tickets for Pearl Jam shows. And my husband suffers from a really bad back. He's had eight spinal surgeries and, uh, Jeff sent us one of those massage guns and stuff so again you know that's you put me in too tough of a position okay that's fair that's fair 100 fair um next one uh janice joplin or stevie nicks well you know it's got to be stevie for that one um i am a huge stevie fan i love janice as well but um it's so funny um there was a time in my life where 
people used to say I looked like Stevie Nicks. I would get stopped on, you know, the later Stevie Nicks, like this, this more recent, you know, within the past 20 years, Stevie Nicks kind of thing. And they, I, one time I had a picture of, uh, she played with Rod Stewart at the Boston garden and I cut it out and put it on my door and my kids would come in and be like, miss, what are you doing with this guy on stage? You know, that's so it's kind of funny, but I've always loved Stevie and her resilience and her strength and her, her songwriting abilities. And of course she's been around much longer than, you know, we lost Janice at 27. So, um, her, you know, just on sheer career, uh, longevity, I have to go with Stevie. Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Here's one. Uh, I think I know the answer to, but, uh, uh yeah, I'm not going to guess for you. Uh, the big one, Beatles or the Stones? Stones easily, easily, yeah, yeah. I was, um, I was never huge, you know. I remember we used to have, um, you know, we had some forty fives. I want to hold your hand and stuff like that. But I really loved the Stones, and I still love the Stones. So I'm gonna go with them. Yeah, uh, I, it it was a late in life decision for me, but um, I've I've finally tapped over into the Stones being my favorite of the two. Like the way I say it, and again, everybody who listens to the podcast will start repeating ad nauseum what I'm about to say. But um, <laughs> that is that the the Beatles were like to me uh, three geniuses that kind of worked together um, mm-hmm. at at like a day job, whereas like the Stones to me are just the best band. Like they're just an incredible band. Yeah. And I, you know, I still listen to their stuff. Just the other day, I was like, I want to watch that video for Waiting on a Friend. You know, that video is so awesome. I just love that video. And I was just, you know, sitting up and watching it on my phone and just saying, wow, what a great song that is. You know, you know what my favorite video of the Stones is to go back and visit? And it's um, the Far Away Eyes video. Oh, it's that's just, a good one. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, bizarre. Yeah. And I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. Um, they're great. Yeah, they're just um, a great band. Before before we tackle the last one of the top or the one hit wonders, I'm going to throw one in um, just because I have to. Um, and it's purely based on locale. But um, Eagles or the Patriots? Oh, what do you want to get me killed? <laughs> I, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I'm going to tell you a funny story right now. So my nephew um, who I, you know, I was always pretty close to and, you know, um, always got along really, really well with. He was the um, he was the doctor, um, one of the doctors for the Eagles um, the year they won the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, huge Eagles fan. My mother was a huge, huge, huge Eagles fan. And so I would always, you know, I will say I will pick the Eagles over over Philadelphia just because, you know, that's that's where I grew up. And that's, you know, that's embedded in me. But my nephew was um having a baby. And so um, I'm the English teacher, teacher aunt, right? So I said, well, I'm going to send you books for the baby um, so that, you know, I'll send like one every month or so. And by the time the baby's born, you'll have a little library, you know? So I send him some Dr. Seuss books and I sent him and I talked to a friend who had just had a baby, a Boston person. And I said, um, you know, what books are, what books are good? And he said, well, I love good, good night moon. Um, but he said, there's one called good night Boston, you know, and your nephew's come up and visited you in Boston a few times, you know, he probably likes Boston. Why don't you send him good night Boston? I said, okay. So I just, you know, click a button and send it from Amazon. I got the worst text messages in my life 
what is this Tom Brady BS? You know what this, you know, Patriots crap, you know, I, I like I couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought first I thought he was joking, you know, but he was like dead serious. He <laughs> was really angry. And I hadn't looked at the book. I thought it was going to be like, you know, Boston Tea Party, Boston Common, you know, you know, just historical stuff. But there were three pages in it with the Patriots, the Bruins, the Celtics and the Red Sox, you know, just three pages. <laughs> oh, my God. It almost destroyed our relationship. We didn't speak for like six months. Yeah, that, that that'll yeah. ruin it. That'll that'll end a family right there. Yeah, that'll, yeah. <laughs> so like I, you know, I, I will I will say that you know, um, I always like the Patriots, you know, because they're hard workers and they worked really well as a team. And you know, I kind of lost touch with the Eagles after I moved here, you know, because in the times when the games weren't on TV all the time, and so. Um, but I always wanted them to win for my mother, you know, and um, and there was a time like my mother and my husband would talk endlessly about sports and they would go back into the 60s with the Eagles and the Patriots like they would I'd just be sitting there like, oh, God, please, you're boring me to tears. And um, when the first Super Bowl with the Eagles and the Patriots, they were going to go, but it was in Jacksonville and they got the pricing was just ridiculous and they couldn't pull it off. But they were going to go together as mother-in-law and son-in-law which would have been so cool um but um you know they they couldn't pull that off so it's a shame no oh, that's incredible that's incredible um the last one of the one hit wonders bohemian rhapsody or stairway to heaven <laughs> i'm gonna go with bohemian rhapsody as a big queen fan you know that i never got to see zeppelin i had tickets and then uh robert plant's son died um stairway to heaven's like a part of the huge fabric of my life growing up in high school and stuff. But Bohemian Rhapsody, man, you can't. That's just a genius song. It's, it's just a masterpiece. It really yeah, is. It really is. Uh, so the next and final section is the top 10 <laughs> countdown uh, in this. As I'm sure you're aware, you can use John to be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't yeah. have to be music. Uh, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you were obsessed with when you were younger? The first thing that I was obsessed with was, you know, my record player and music. And I remember that my dad loved Roger Miller's King of the Road. Do you know that song? I do. You do. That's awesome that you do. And I remember, you know, kind of told a story, you know, and it created an atmosphere. And I think that I kind of realized, oh, music can take you places that you don't know about. And so I'm going to go with, you know, with with music and record players and jukeboxes. And Roger Miller's King of the Road is my first John. Beautiful answer. Uh, number two, what's your current John? What are you into right now? So, you know, I, I'm so I, I don't really go out of the 90s. Uh, you know, I, I go from, you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s. And then I stop at the 90s and I don't really go out of that. And so what I'm listening to now when I'm at school every day is Rage Against the Machine, because I just saw them not too long ago. And I just think they're a brilliant band and I love them. Very nice. I um, I'm I'm going to share this with you. I, I don't know that I've shared this on the podcast, but um, one time I was in. Uh, I'm a guitar player, and I was in Guitar Center just looking at guitars. And um, some guy and his kid came up to me, and they were like, um, "You don't, you don't have to admit it, but are you Tom Morello?" And I was, I can see that. I can see that. I can totally see that. And you this guy, really do look like him. I thought about that the whole time we've been on here. And this guy would not take no for an answer. Like he was <laughs> like, so I funny. still kind of think and i was like i promise you i am not <laughs> <laughs> that's, so that's, funny. that's hilarious uh number three uh what's you what was your first concert 
My first concert was Rod Stewart and Face's last concert, 1975 at the Civic Center in Philadelphia. I was 15 years old and wow, I was like, I'm so into live music after this. And that was really, uh, I went with, um, my boyfriend was a senior, I was a sophomore in high school. And that really just set off my concert going career. Very cool. Very cool. I think you just answered this, but number four, what was your last concert? Right? Yeah. So my last concert was just crazy. So, um, I have a friend named Joe Nelson who, um, is working with my husband to put his first two records out. And, um, I saw on Facebook, somebody said, Oh, thanks Joe Nelson for hooking me up with rage against the machine tickets in Washington, DC. And so I commented and said, Joe Nelson better hook me up when they play Boston, but they weren't playing Boston. And so Joe private messaged me and he said, look, if you want to go see them at Madison square garden, I can make it happen. And it was like four days before the show. Now, when I do anything now at this age, I need a long runway, like weeks, months of planning, you know, like months. But I was like, I've got to go. I'm never I never saw them. And I love them. And I have to do this. And so I called my niece, who's who's 30. And I was like, and she lives in in, in uh, Maryland. And I was like, you want to meet in New York and go see Rage Against the Machine? And she said, hell yeah. And so we did. And we went and I'm telling you, we had the best time. We had the most incredible seats. It was the best night. Everything went perfectly. You know, when we left Madison Square Gardens, we walked four blocks to the hotel, which is like, you know, no ride home, nothing. And they were so good. And they were so good, despite the fact that you know, Zach is injured and he had to sit down the whole time. I was like, I can't even imagine the level of energy this band would put forth if if he was not injured, like yeah. was already busting through the roof, you know, and I had former students that were there and it was the best time. So that's my very, you know, you never get any short answers with me. <laughs> that's good. It's, I, that, story. it's always a story. You're you know? a podcaster's dream. <laughs> <laughs> Um, number five, and this is one another one I've been uh, dying to ask. Uh, what was your favorite concert? What's the best live show you ever saw? So I'm going with that Minor Threat, SSD Control, Agnostic Front, Crib Death, Flag of Democracy show at Buff Hall. Even though it was crazy and dangerous, every band played their guts out. I think the fear that was out there that night added to the energy and every band brought their a game and it was just spectacular. And I'm really excited that video exists of that show because no one would ever believe it unless you, you watch that video and you know that I'm not telling any lies when I say that that is an incredible, incredible show. Is that, is that, is that up on like YouTube or, or anything? Yeah. Like so that? on YouTube. Yeah. You can just, you can just, Search up. They only videotaped, um, was my friend Steve I. He only videotaped SSD and, um, minor threat, but you can type in minor threat buff hall. It'll come up or SSD control buff hall and it'll come up. And you can just, you can still feel the energy in the room. It's unbelievable. You know, Ian had been hit by a car, big lump on his head. His calf was severely injured, but man, they played their guts out. That's incredible. I love it. 
I love it. Um, number six, another one that I've been dying to ask, who have you never seen live that you wish oh, you would have? Yeah, a band that I that I still listen to a lot, Stiff Little Fingers. I never saw them um, in their heyday. And I, you know, I really wish that I did. I don't know if they, you know, if they didn't come around or if I missed them. Um, I don't I don't know, but I never saw them. And I still listen to their Hanks album a lot, which is a live album. And, and uh, I think that they're great. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Number seven, uh, name an unappreciated John. Name something you wish had yeah, more shine I would, to it. I, I would go back to those those British bands that I told you about, like Crisis and, and Flux of Pink Indians. And again, they may have been, you know, hugely appreciated in their home country, but... Here, you know, they did, as far as I know, they didn't tour US or anything like that. And so, um, you know, I, I, I would, I would have to probably go with them. You know, it's the it's the other thing that really amazes me, um, especially about um, the punk scene and the hardcore scene is just um, how things got around without the Internet. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, like it's really yeah. amazing because now, like, if a, yeah, because yeah, now if a if a band doesn't tour, you know, a lot of the bands don't tour, you know, but their their music, you throw it up on SoundCloud or Bandcamp, and it's everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, That's right. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Um, number eight. Uh, do you have a favorite album? I have to say that Bad Brains Roar cassette is is probably my um, my favorite. I probably had to own ten of those because I wore them out. I love that record and it just goes you know every single song on it is great um i still listen to it it's it's just a really really perfect record to me awesome awesome uh number nine name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they put out that's probably bowie you yeah. know i will always listen to everything bowie um patty smith blondie would also be in that category as well I haven't I haven't listened to it yet, but did you see the um, Blondie box set that just came out? That's got oh no, like, no it, that sounds like a Christmas present for me. There it is. It's got yeah. outtakes and stuff, and yeah. uh, I've heard like some some early demos um, from it, and it just it seems absolutely yeah. Incredible. That sounds like yeah. That sounds like something that I would love. And uh, the tenth and final of the top ten countdown. What is your favorite John of all time? You know, it's it's probably hard to you know to pin down. Um, one John of all time. And I, you know, I thought about this ahead of time and, and um, I'm going to just have to say that the series of events that brought me to pick up that kids will have their say record, call my husband on the phone to do a show in Philadelphia and end up being together for 40 years, you know, so um, for good, for bad, for better, for worse, you know, punk rock, you know, brought me the love of my life. And so that's pretty cool, I think. That's absolutely beautiful. Here's here's just a, a quick kind of a touch question on that. Do you think the, the teaching career would have happened without the move to Boston? Yeah, that's a question that I've actually asked myself many, many times. Um, I think I, when I was, you know, learning, you know, coming up in Philadelphia, I realized how incredibly ignorant of the world I was. I knew nothing about politics or government or anything. So I do believe I probably would have gone back to school and and done something. But I don't know if I would have gone into teaching Um, when my husband in 1985, I was 25. My husband went back to school to be a mechanical engineer and so I said, well, I'm going to go back to school, too. And I just started taking classes in sociology and psychology. And then I said, you know what? 
I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this teaching career, you know? And so, and so I did. So I honest to God do not know if I would have, you know, gone maybe into the music business, like, you know, being a promoter, an A&R person or something like that. I don't, it's really, really hard to say, but it's, it is something that I think about all the time. Like, what would I have done if I still lived in Philly? Yeah. Yeah. It's really fascinating. So, um, you've got the, the, um, uh, book event coming up, uh, November 18th, you said, right? Yes. Yes. November 18th. Yeah. Ticket, tickets still available for anybody. Yes. Who... Tickets are still available. And you know, the way they do it, if you get your ticket before April, I mean, um, October 18th, it's all, it's $25, but that includes food and, and wine and stuff. And then if it's after October, then it goes up. And then like the day of the show, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more, but there's already 60 people signed up. So they are, they moved us into the big room, which I'm excited about because of COVID and stuff. So we're going to be in the, you know, big fancy room. And um, I'm just psyched to come back to Philly. You know, I will just look for any excuse to come back to the, <laughs> to that city and see all these people that I love. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, that are coming out and a few that I didn't get to see at the, um, at the uh, church, uh, book event that I did. So um, like Timmy Tanzania, who was the doorman at the hot club, he's coming to this one and I'm really excited to see him. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun in that, in that crazy space, you know, and I hope it's a nice, beautiful, clear night and we can see off over the city. That's absolutely beautiful. If these um, fine folks uh, want to follow you on the uh, social media, how can they track you down? Yeah, so they they can request me on uh, uh, Nancy Burrell, um, you know, just my name, B-A-R-I-L-E. Um, I had to lock down my accounts. I got a little bit of um, uh, doxing going on when I put oh, no. out. Yeah, I... I um, my school was... At, they were looking for science teachers, and I put out on... Um, Facebook that we were looking for two science teachers and that there was a, there was a grant um, for people of color that it would give them a signing bonus and help with their graduate school. And white some white people got very angry about that, even though the grant came from our governor of Massachusetts and not out of my pocket. Jesus. And so I, you know, I started receiving all kinds of um, hate mail and death threats and stuff. And so I had to lock down my accounts for a little while. You know, it's, it's crazy. The Internet, as much as I, you know, I love it for the interconnectivity and keeping in touch and learning new things. And it certainly helped me sell my book. It can also be a real cesspool and and really demoralizing and and and, and sad um, in a lot of ways too. So um, yeah, so just request me and I'll you know I'll accept. I'll figure out you're a Philly person and you'll be in. <laughs> so that we we live in a really weird time, don't we? We do. Like, <laughs> we, it's so weird. I like I, I, the things that people get upset about, and I know that like everybody's just struggling, and that's really all it is. Is like you know I, I had um. Um, Mariah Parker, who is, um, a, a musician who performs under Linka Franca. And, mm-hmm. um, they're also a, um, uh, well, were a council person in Athens, Georgia. Um, uh, but, um, just, we, we were talking about like, just how scary 
the internet is of like just people like the empty three you don't know if it's an empty threat right you know and like it's just it's so disheartening but they were they were they were very very positive about the future and and i gotta say you know uh with someone like yourself teaching the the youth of the future um i think i think we're i think i hope we're in good hands my Uh, kids give me hope every day they are really i i teach them really wonderful spectacular kids Caring, loving, smart, ambitious, you know, activist kids. And they're they're really great. And they and and so they do give me hope for the future. Otherwise, I probably would jump in this ocean out back, you know. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, Nancy, thank you so much, not just thank for you. having this conversation with me, but for everything you do and for just an incredible book. And and uh guys, if if you uh uh are a reader or even if you aren't, um jump on Amazon and um check check out Nancy's book. Like it's absolutely phenomenal. It's a, an incredible story and uh especially if you're in this area, you're going to you're going to absolutely never put it down. Uh, and then come out on November 18th. I can get to meet you in person. It'd be so fun. My thanks again to Nancy for joining me on the show today. Nancy will be doing a Meet the Author event on November 18th at the Pyramid Club in Philadelphia. You can find tickets and info at www.meettheauthorpc.com. Her book, I'm Not Holding Your Coat, My Bruises and All Memoir of Punk Rock Rebellion is available at www.bazillionpoints.com. And Nancy can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nancy Burrill. Links to all of those, as always, will appear in the show notes. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo! That's My John podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. And I know, I say it every week, but it is never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for articles, merchandise, and links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast. And guys, while you're there, be sure to sign up for our mailing list to get all of the updates delivered straight to your inbox. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo that's my John and search yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. Like and subscribe the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thanks again for joining us for yet another show. I will catch you next time. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be... Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my john at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, 
Be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John.